Jesus loves the little children, and we're all his children. But there's a difference between that and it working its way down into the center of our being, into the core of our identity, where we have an experiential knowledge, not only mental assent or not uh, to of the fact that we believe that God loves us, but that we know in our hearts and we know in the core of our being that we're loved by our Father in heaven. We don't have what it takes in ourselves to grow that kind of love. It all starts from him. It starts with him. He's the initiator. He's the greatest example. And he's the giver. He puts his love into our hearts. So we can't even love God without having received his love, first of all. We can't worship God. We can't respond in love to the Lord without it first starting with Him. So it's always revelation that leads to a response. It always comes by revelation where it becomes real inside of us. And then we can know how to love Him back. We can know how not only to receive it in our hearts, but how to love our brothers and sisters. How to love our families. Now... There is the opportunity through good relationships to experience in a smaller way pictures that point us to the love of God. If you have a best friend, and that best friend, you know they're in relationship with you not just because they're trying to get something from you, because they really believe in you. They really want your best. Their affection for you is because they want to see you thrive. They want to see you grow. There's a, in, in Greek, there's, biblical Greek, there's three primary words that are used for love. First one is the love that we receive from God. It's agape. And I love it because here, the way that you speak to children in the culture in Cyprus is that you call them agapemu. Agapemu. Every kid that you don't know their name, you say agapemu to them. My love. My love. Agapemu. My love. When I go with my kids to the store and they, somebody wants to say something, they say, Ella agapemu. Come here. Come here, my love. Like that. It's just ingrained in the culture. They kind of actually worship children here a little bit too far into like they're so spoiled and they're idolized in the family culture. There's a really healthy part of the family culture. There's another part that's like they need a little discipline. <laughs> they need some boundaries. But anyway, in the best of relationships, whether it's familial, whether it's amongst friends, where, whether it's uh, in relationships with the opposite sex, in all of these things we have the potential to have pictures of what it is, but it's all fallen. It's all come short of the perfection of the love that comes from the Father. And when that gets seated in our lives, we learn how to love more. We learn how to respond to His love by the revelation that we receive. And that happens in many different ways. I've shared with you now a couple stories in my own life 
how that came by an encounter, and it brought revelation into my heart about how much I'm loved by my Father in heaven. Everything changes when you experience and you know that. It's not just head knowledge. It's experiential knowledge that changes a person. Experiential knowledge means I've tasted and I've seen. It's the language of Psalms. It's the language of Proverbs. So wisdom from a Hebraic understanding isn't axioms or truths that are set apart from the practice of daily life, but it's very real practical wisdom and how to live in right relationships. We need experiential knowledge, not just mental assent. So we talked about from the inside to the outside, it starts with the issue of the heart first. It starts with love. Yeshua, our model in every way, and we saw that Luke 3 and 4, how he went from love, tested by holiness, came out of the wilderness. Each time, it's by the Holy Spirit. Let's just write this on the board because we want to, uh, I love to honor Holy Spirit. Each time it's the Holy Spirit that descends upon him. It's the Holy Spirit who leads him into the wilderness to 40 days of fasting. And then it's in the power of the Holy Spirit that leads him back out to the start of his ministry when he goes in the synagogue and announces Isaiah 61. This is fulfilled in your hearing. It's the Holy Spirit each and every time that's leading. And that's why we're connecting it to the baptism of Holy Spirit and fire in Luke chapter 3, verse 16. So let's talk about this love of God some more. For the people of Israel, they were given the commandments as a way to know the character and the nature of God. They were given the Torah... As they were formed into a nation, when they're brought out of Egypt, and no longer was it just a family line, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but it was they were being formed into a larger group of people. And it was by his love and his kindness that he brings them out to the wilderness to show them. And what is it that they said to Pharaoh? Moses said to Pharaoh, would you release the people of Israel so they could come out and worship God? Worship is our response to the revelation that we're loved by God. It starts there. And so they're brought out to the wilderness, and he does mighty signs and wonders first to get them out. But every act of the signs and wonders is a demonstration of his commitment to the people and his love to the people that they'll no longer be seen as slaves, but as freed men. They'll no longer be seen as servants, but as sons and daughters in the family that's being established under Mount Sinai. And so he gives them the law, he gives them the Torah, he gives them his word to show his character and nature to the whole nation and, the, and everything. And then he says in this, in this uh, passage of the Shema that we, that we uh, referred to the other day, the first and the greatest of the commandments 
Let's turn there. Actually, let's be Deuteronomy. Before we look at the Shema, let's look at Deuteronomy 4. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, in verse 24, it says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. The Lord your God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. He wants the first love. He wants the primary love. He wants the first attention. He wants the primary affection of his people. He's saying this is at the basis of my nature and how I want you to relate to me is that I want the first. I want the primary. I want the, 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 the first part to go to me. He is a God of love. He's a God of jealous love. And then if we turn over the page to Deuteronomy 6, we have the Shema. It's Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. And this is the summation when, when the Pharisees came to Yeshua and they said, well, what is the first and the greatest of the commandments? He recited this passage from this passage to them. Thank you. Let's uh, start actually from verse 1. Now, this is the commandment which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. That you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe. Remember, I shared with you on Monday that Hung Su Park, my mentor, he would say, the basis of discipleship is two words, hear and obey. The basis of our walk with God, again and again, can be boiled down to hearing and obeying. Hear and observe. That it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. And then verse 4, we have the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord. 
And this is the essence of Israelites' relationship. First, that he's a jealous lover. He wants the first of their affection. He wants the first of their love. He's the initiator of that love. And then he says, hear, listen, obey, observe, pay attention. We're going to say the first and the greatest, the summation of all the law and the prophets is this. Love the Lord your God. Love him completely with all your heart, soul, and with all your strength. Now, when Yeshua quotes it back in the New Covenant, and he says that, he adds in not just your heart, your soul, and strength, but he adds mind into it that's not in the original text. He can do that. He's the living word. It's actually very interesting how Yeshua quotes scriptures, because sometimes he adds things to it. And we look and we study in hermeneutics how we are to read the text and how we're to deal with the text and the difference between exogesis and isogesis in theological terms is how what, what we read from the text outwards and it speaks to us rather than putting our own ideas back into the text like that. And it's a fair way of doing it. Yeshua, he broke all the theological seminary rules when he quoted scripture. It's amazing. He's the living word. He was the one that John says he was at the beginning. He was the word of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So he gets to do that. We have to behave ourselves though when we deal with the scripture. Israel's obedience is a relationship that's based upon love with him. And so in our response to the love, the unconditional love of the Father, in our response to the jealous love that He has for us and that He makes known to them in these acts of love by saving them, by delivering them out of the hand of their oppressors, by bringing them into the promised land, by providing for them in every way. Everything is an act of the expression of His love for them. And sometimes we read with a wrong filter and mindset, uh, mindset of the God that we find in the first covenant, and we feel that he's an angry God. We feel that he's only a judge. But if you look and you read outside of that filter of maybe things that have been, you've heard in sermons and messages, what the scriptures actually say concerning says, I am a father to you. I am a father for your people. That I love you with an everlasting love. I love you with a covenantal love that cannot be broken. If you were to run away, if you were like my wife to divorce me, I would still pursue you. And that's the language of love that's found in the first covenant. And I would encourage you to read through that filter of the reality of the nature and the character of God concerning his own people. As we see his covenantal love and faithfulness as he deals with Israel in their stiff-necked, hard-hearted, arrogant, and rebellious response to his love, it puts hope in every nation and in every generation if he was faithful to his word, to his covenant, and to them. How much more will he be faithful to me in my nation, in my generation, in my time? His love never changed And he's a God of love, 
in the first covenant as he is revealed in greater expression through Yeshua. And so when we love him as an act of our observance, as an act of our obedience, we recognize this first, it's a relational response to the love of the Father. So we must love him in return as what we have received with an entire love. It says, hero is of the Lord, our God is one. There is a unity, there is a unitedness in the character and the nature of God that's complete. Now often in our hearts, when what we know about love and how we receive love is that we have chambers or rooms within our hearts that are limits, on limits and off limits to different people and even to God himself. And we say, I give my heart to you, but really what we mean is, uh, this far you can come. But there's areas that I don't know how I can open those doors to let you in. I don't know how I can really trust or in our relationships with each other. But it's an entire love. It's a wholehearted love. It's an undivided love before the whole stream of our affection because God is echad. Because he is one, he wants an entire love in response back to his oneness, to his unitedness. That his heart isn't divided concerning his people. But the hero Israel, the Lord our God, is one. And that's the kind of love that we give back in response to him. That it's an entire love, it's a complete love, it's a whole love. Because he is one, unity, he's united our hearts Our hearts must be united within ourselves, an undivided heart. So a man like David, when he begins to express his affections towards the Lord as he learns to sing his songs while he's watching over the sheep in his field in that day, and he begins to let the overflow of his heart, he talks from a place and he sings from a place and it's recorded of an undivided love before the Lord. Not with different chambers, not with different areas of access and off limits and what's available to the Lord. No, the whole stream of my affection goes back to you, God. I tell you, as a man, when I come into a place of intimacy with God, when I have my guitar in my room, the vulnerability and the intimacy and the kind of expression that I have before the Lord is very different than how I walk around in most of my life. But the whole of my affection, the whole stream of my heart, this, this came a reality for me when I started my relationship with Sarah. Everyone likes a love story, right? Huh? No. You don't want to what? Oh. <laughs> okay. Song of Solomon says, do not awaken love before its season. But anyway, my love is woke. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. When, when I was, when I met Sarah, and it takes too long to tell the whole story, but she was actually my assistant. She was first a student in the first year, and then she became my personal assistant. And 
I had been very disciplined in the area of like dating and relationships. I was consecrated to the Lord. I had done the Nazarite vow. At that time, I had long hair, believe it or not. I had long hair, wore it in a ponytail, and I was going after God. And I had said, I had realized when God had graced me and favored me to be able to stand in front of people and to be an inspiration that sometimes as a single person, there's a a confusion that happens between anointing or charisma, and just who you are. And I realized that I didn't want to mess up. I felt so privileged that God would use me that I didn't want to mess it up. And so I was like, I'm not going to pursue dating relationships until you have the perfect person for me. And I literally, I just kind of like closed the door on my heart in that area. And I didn't date through my teenage years and into my 20s. And I, I just was like, Single focus. I'm going after God. I'm going to be a leader in my generation. I'm going to do this. And, all. And, and at the same time, we get to this point, and she's my assistant, and we just get along great. We're having, first of all, I said, no, I don't need an assistant. I have my own system, and I had stacks of paper on my desk. And I knew where everything was. No one else could find anything. But I was running around, like I said, doing a lot of different things. And the other leader said, Matt, you need someone to organize your life. <laughs> what? I have a system. Anyway, she came in and she revolutionized my life. First, my office. And she turned everything around and communicating clearly and getting things done and all of that. And I'm like, wow, I really did need this. This is amazing. And we grew in friendship during this time because we're working together all day long. And then realized at the end of the day, I still wanted to hang out with her. I still, after we had worked in the office all day, I still wanted to be with her. And, and, and we were living in community as a bunch of young adults together. And there was, at that time, it was just my parents and our family. And it was, and it was a rest for all young adults. And, uh, and I, we started, man, we're really good friends. You see, I had that area, like, firmly closed and bolted and locked and everything like that. And then my siblings... Nehemiah and my sister Sarah, hope that you'll meet later this year. They came and they're like, Matt, what's up? Do you like her or not? Stop saying she's your best friend. There's some tension. You know what I mean when I say that? There's some chemistry. I was like, what? Now, this is my perspective on it. They might have a different one. Guys, when you were struggling as teenagers... And with relationships and some of those things, I was always there for you. I would come and sit you down and say, hey, look, I understand this. But there's something more. you got to guard your heart to my sisters. I say, watch out. Those guys, you know, you, you, you don't, don't believe a word they say. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and, you know, and with my brother encouraging him and my siblings and all. And I was able to keep myself pure before the Lord and focused and all that. And then all of a sudden they're saying, they're saying to me, which I walked through some stuff with them. They're saying to me, I hope this isn't being recorded. <laughs> They're like, Matt, you need to sort this out. You guys are saying best friends, but we know there's something more going on, you know. And, uh, and so they called a family meeting. <laughs> oh, my word. I was like, what? You went around me to mom and dad to call a family meeting on me? No. And I, I went to my parents. I was like, I was like, man, I can't believe this. And they're like, no, nah, it's fine. Don't worry, you know. And, and we went in the meeting, and they basically they said the same thing they said to me. They said, we just think, 
that you need to get real and realize that you're in love with Sarah and she's in love with you and the guys stop saying that you're best friends and that kind of deal and just come out with it and it's fine. And I was like, guys, she's my friend. I love spending time with her. I'm focused. I'm in it. I've got a direction. I'm going. And then the meeting kind of ended without any resolution and I went into my parents' room after that. Mom and Dad, what's up? You know, like, I, I can't believe that they're saying this. All the stuff I've walked through with them, and they, and they were so gracious. They said, Matt, we trust you. We love you. All that. And I, now I know, looking back, that's how you just, like, get in <laughs> to open the heart for the conversation. And then my mom said something. She said, honey, whenever she gives, like, these little sage advice kind of things, she goes into a stronger southern accent. <laughs> she goes, she goes, honey. Sometimes <laughs> we don't know our own heart. <laughs> and I said, like, okay, fair enough. And I remember I went to my room, and as a worship leader and as a discipler, as somebody who had been involved in leading young adults and teenagers for years and all, I had strived to live in front of people that said, everything in my heart is the Lord's. It's a united heart. It's open. God, have your way. My whole life, my whole heart is yours. And when she said that to me, it was like a moment of crisis where I was like, now, I'm my mother's firstborn child. And I know that she really loves me. And I know that she wants my best. And if she says, well, maybe sometimes we don't know our own hearts, what that means is, Matthew... You're disconnected from this area in your life, and you don't really aren't in touch with your heart. And I remember praying a prayer that night to the Lord, and I said, God, as I've said from the microphone, as I've said in the hidden place before you time and time again, you have all of my life. You have every area of my heart. I want to be true before you. If I've closed off this area of my heart, to you, into living from a united heart in that, open it up. Dangerous prayer to pray. <laughs> I woke up, and there was a certain slant of light that was shining through my bedroom window. And I could hear birds chirping outside, singing <laughs> melodies that I hadn't recognized on days prior. And I felt something coming alive inside of me. And I remember that day when I saw Sarah, I saw her a little differently. And she knew it. Because girls know it. When we look at them in a different way. And I remember that night, after having been in the office, we were playing cards. We were all, a bunch of us hanging out, and the two of us were playing cards. And she told me afterwards, once we got, got together, she said, I knew that night something had changed in your heart. The way that you looked at me playing cards was different <laughs> than the day before. But I had to go on a journey and basically to take it before the Lord and that kind of thing. But my heart completely opened up in that area that I had closed off, partly because of a brokenness in a relationship early on in my life where I was best friends with a girl and then it turned out going in the wrong, anyway. And, and, uh, and I closed that area of my life, not only 
because of just wanting to, to stay consecrated and pure, but not to get hurt again as well. And when I prayed that prayer to the Lord, he revealed that to me, and he opened my heart, and it was the beginning. And so, of our relationship, and then I said, I want to pray about this. My dad was going on a trip for a week or 10 days or something like that. He said, Matt, pray while you're gone, and let's talk when I come back. My dad comes from the airport 10 days later, comes into the kitchen, and looks at me and goes, so? The first thing he said... Walking in the door, prophets, you know, like he just walks in, he goes, so like he had been following me that 10 days every day where my heart was going and everything. And I looked at him, I said, dad, I love her and I want to spend the rest of my life with her. And I hadn't talked to her about this yet. And all like for me, it was a done deal. And then, I was, oh, I probably should like express my heart to her. And he said, well, what are you waiting for? Now, he didn't do that with my sisters. My sisters, their spouses now went through the gauntlet of interrogation and fear and trembling to be worthy to even have a conversation with one of his daughters. But he knew my personality, that I'm not just make decisions on a whim or that kind of thing, that I had processed it with God. And he said, what are you waiting for? And I asked Sarah to go out to dinner, and it was the end of a three-day Esther fast that we were doing at Purim. And we were going to break the fast, and the whole community was doing stuff. And I said, hey, would you go out to dinner with me? She's like, are we allowed? <laughs> Staff and, you know, that kind of thing. And I said, well, I am the base leader. <laughs> but don't worry, my parents know about it. <laughs> I took her out into a, a little taverna in the mountains. And it was still chilly in the evening, and I asked them, I said, okay, can you make a fire and set up a table for two by the fireplace so that it would be roaring, and this is what I want to order in advance. And we went, and we drove out there, and I didn't want to say anything until the situation was right, you know. So we're, like, talking about work and all the stuff as we're driving through the country, going there. We get to the restaurant. No one's there. And then I see the table by the fire, and the owner and his wife are sitting, eating a meal, and the fire's going out. And I'm like, Cyprus. And they see, me, they see us and they're like, oh, 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 come, come, my friend, oh, oh. And I'm like, stop, stop. And they're like, we will get the fire going, you know, understand? You know, and then they're clearing the table off. And, and we sit down, just the two of us, and we order a bunch of food. We've been fasting for three days. We didn't eat any of it that night. We just picked at it, and we talked. And I said to her, Sarah. First words of my mouth, I have fallen madly in love with you, and I can't spend, I imagine spending another day without you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And she was like, whoa. And then she, we laughed awkwardly, we cried, and she said, told me a story. She said, Matt, five years ago, you were ministering in a service in America. I came to that meeting because my parents dragged me, and in the middle of the service, the worship leader that I didn't know, I was the first time I had met him, calls me out from the crowd, not knowing me, prophetically calls me out. And I, he's playing the piano leading. He says, take that microphone and join me on the stage in, in, in worship. And the song was actually True Love by David Ruiz. And I'm standing there, and she opens her eyes, come into the meeting, and she sees me on the stage. And she's not been one to have lots of crushes and be that kind of girl. And 
the room stands still. And she sees me and she says, that's going to be my husband. She didn't know my name, didn't know anything. Five years later, ended up on this crazy journey that you'd have to hear from her. And we got together. The point of that love story (laughs) is one, to get the love juices as we're talking about the love of God going. But also to see that there are areas in our hearts that we close off and we don't give permission to the Lord. But he says, I want an entire love. I want a complete love. I want all of your heart. That I is, he has given all for us. He's looking for a response of love that's an entire, that's a complete, that's a whole, that's a, with an undivided heart. To have singled eye devotion for the Lord. It's lunchtime. We'll continue this afternoon.